You know, the Bible gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. That's what the seraphim and the cherubs are flying back and forth of the throne of God, crying, holy, holy, holy. And then we have the vision of the 24 elders. And they are crying, holy is the Lord. But you see, the Bible tells us that you and I can come and we can sit in heavenly places. And I don't know about you, but I feel him here tonight. And I know that he is here. And tonight, I want to be where he is because I know where he is is where my need's going to be met. Holy, holy, can you cry out to him? Holy, holy, come on, church, cry out to him and say, Lord, you're holy. Just tell him that again. Come on, declare tonight. Say you are holy, 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 holy. Come on, church, say and gather into his presence right now. And I just want to be near your heart. And there is nothing like your love. Oh, yeah. There is nothing like your love. And I just want to be where you are. And I just want to be near your heart. Hallelujah. There is nothing like your love. There is nothing like your love. Nothing like your love. Some of you are wondering, well, how do I get to where he is? How do I get close to his heart? We've already been doing it. We've been worshiping him. The Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, what he does, when we begin to praise him, he comes down, he sets up an eternal residence where his people will praise him. You may, all you can probably say sometimes is, Holy are you, Lord. Sometimes you just may be able just to say hallelujah. Sometimes all you can probably say is, I love you, Jesus. And sometimes when life is getting tough and you're feeling pressed on every side and you don't know which way to turn, you don't know which way to look, and you don't you feel like you don't have a praise left in you, all you gotta do is just say, Jesus. Jesus and just begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Begin to exalt the name of Jesus. 
because I have never once seen my Lord turn a deaf ear to anyone who is in need, who would just call upon his name, but yet call upon him in an ex to exalt that name. And holy, oh, come on and cry out to him. Holy, oh, come on and shout it out, say it. One more time, come on and cry out, holy, holy. Lord, you're worthy tonight. Lord, you're the only one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Holy, holy, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I want to raise your hand to just worship him and magnify him. Somebody here right now, you've been battling some things and the funny thing is you're battling it in a relationship. Everything seems great on the surface. Everything seems fine. But there are some things that's been going on in that relationship that have been bondage in your life. And I believe that if you will just cry out unto God, God will release the bondage and he'll heal the relationship. Because I'm going to tell you right now, a relationship that is filled with jealousy is not a relationship. A relationship that is filled with accusation is not a relationship. A relationship that is filled with it's all about me, me, me and forget about you is not a relationship. And whether you realize it or not, that's a type of abuse. But I know one who can heal all relationships. Come on and just cry out to him and just say you're holy. And I know that you're going to fix it right now. tonight. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. I feel the healer in the house right now. Let him heal that relationship. Let him heal you from the wounds that that relationship has inflicted.
just give him a big praise right now. Come on and praise him for what he's doing in your life. Praise God, praise God. Now look over to somebody before you're seated and say, if you didn't get healed with whatever's going on in your life, tell them. And you got problems. Because <laughs> the Lord is in the house. Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's so good to see you tonight. Amen. Maybe I'm the only one excited to see anybody. Because I guess when I get over on Pebble Beach Drive, we just stay in our house and we get out. I'm like Joe Joe the circus boy. I'm looking forward to seeing people. And my wife gets on to me a lot when we're out. She says, you don't know a stranger anywhere we go. Well, why should I? I'm just passing through here. This world's not my home. Have you ever been somewhere and you've ever had the excuse or the reason? Well, I don't care. I don't live here. They don't know me. That's the way I'm getting to be with just talking to people and striking up conversation. And a lot of times what happens is, Solomon, you know what happens? I get to witness to people. And one night, though, I got to talking to somebody and got to witnessing to them. I didn't think they was going to leave. Daniel and Chelsea were there. They remember. But you never know who you're going to come in contact with. Amen. God's good, didn't he? We had, didn't we have a good service this morning? And we're going to have some good service tonight. And um, folks, be on the lookout for great things. Uh, Alicia, and I don't mean to pick on my adorable wife, but we, we just celebrated 10 years Friday together. And I don't deserve her. She, I'm married way out of my league. She's a much better person than I ever dreamed of being, Steve. Hush. <laughs> Marshall. Yeah, I got you. But uh, 10 years, and don't take this the wrong way, it seems like the life before we had each other never existed. Just seems like we've always been. And, uh, you know, we've always, it's always been told to us that we go like a hand in a glove. I like to go with the Greece version. We go together like Sham Lamina and Lamina Ding de Dong. But uh, we had 10 years, and uh, I'm looking forward to another 100 with her. And um, that's if she keeps me around. I don't know. I can, I can be honoring, believe it or not. But uh, I'm looking forward to just spending eternity with her and us just going up in the rapture together and I have to say goodbye down here to each other. And, um, but as she, what I want you to do, I want you to prepare your tithe and your offering. And um, and again, I can't say this enough when it comes to this part. Folks, our worship and giving is sacred to God. We engage in a covenant with him when we give of our tithe and our offering. And uh, I, could, I could get up here and I could teach or preach on covenant relationships. God is all about covenant. And he's all about relationships. But when we give, when we bring our first fruits to him, and this church is our storehouse. 
when we bring the, the first part, the tenth of what he's given us, we are in a covenant relationship with God. And God honors his covenants. And you say, well, I don't know about all that. Why? Let me put it this way. When you give and you're sowing into this church, you're sowing into good ground. Lives are being changed. Souls are being touched. And we may not sit out. We don't know where that camera is going to take things at. I've read some of the comments through uh, Nicole, our daughter. She's got Facebook. Men Alicia don't. Um, but you read some of the comments of the messages. You got people in Pakistan. You got people all over the world, and and all over Indiana and the United States talking about how it's ministering to them. Folks, you have no idea who you're touching. But you know what all this has in common with lights and gas and all that? It takes money to operate these things. So when you're sowing into this church, you're sowing into good ground. Why? Because lives are being changed and we're hearing testimony of it day after day. So I encourage you to give not with grudgingly heart, but give with a cheerful heart. We have the baskets up front. Deja's in the back. She's got the cube if you want to pay by debit card. Father, I just pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon each and every one. God, I pray, Lord, that as we bring our gifts to you, God, that you would cancel debt. God, that you would take stress off of people's lives as it relates to their finances and God I want you to show people that your financial plan does not match up with what man's is God I believe in for souls to be saved people to be delivered just for the little bit that we give it's going to be used and we'll see the effects of it in eternity in Jesus name would you stand bring your gifts to the Lord or you can go to the days in the back amen
Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for your giving. Thank you, praise team. Didn't they do a fantastic job? Haven't they done a wonderful job? And I am so very proud of the drummer back here. Not one lesson. She, she just like her, her Uncle Alan. Never had one lesson. I've always had a special place in my heart for drummers, especially self-taught ones where the Lord just takes them and molds it so... Praise God, and you don't see many girl drummers. I think it's about time. Amen. Amen. Um, Marshall's going to be taking care of a couple of things real quick. I'm going to make a couple of announcements. If you got a sweetheart, you don't know what you're going to get them. we got plenty of shirts out here for sale. And if you've got something that you would like a special saying for a love gift of an additional $2.95, we can make that happen. I'm trying. I'm trying. We've got a lot of sh hoodies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, casual shirts, whatever kind of shirt you want we got. And if you've got a shirt at home that you'd like to have something put on it, we can do that for a small fee. Boy, you guys are a tough crowd tonight. But um, got them out there and uh, don't have your size. All you do is see Sister Sandy and we make sure we get your size out there. And then coming up uh, sometime in March, we don't know when yet, Joanna Beck's coming back. And uh, I was not able to be here last time. My wife said that she was just blown away. And uh, I'm looking forward to being here because I'm not getting sick in Jesus' name. Because I don't want to get robbed of my blessing. And then uh, Sean Strong's going to be here in May. He's at my best friend's mom's church today in Winchester, Kentucky. And uh, y'all pray he don't get stuck down there with all the rednecks. Sad thing is I'm related to half of them in that church, and I know the rest of them. But uh, they're going to love him because I know the type of ministry that they love, and they're just going to love him. And so we're looking forward to that. And then other things is going to be happening because you know what? Jesus is here. Tuesday, what's Tuesday, somebody? Prayer service. Now, answer me a question. Why is it that we say we're going to gather together for prayer, we all stay home? But as soon as we mention service, we're all right there. Every time we get together, it's a service. And uh, so come here and pray. And uh, pastor said something this morning about if you want to see something happen openly, you got to Yeah, if you want public power, you got to have private prayer. Because the Bible says that whatever we do in secret, he's going to reward us openly. And uh, so stay tuned in to God through prayer. And I don't, Marshall, I don't know how much longer I can stall, buddy. Who wants, who wants to sing a solo? Next Sunday, bring your Bible to church. How many of y'all have a Bible? How many of y'all own a Bible? Bring it to church next Sunday. If you do not own a Bible, I will buy you a Bible. Is that a fair deal? 
Well, what you, my number is 438-2826. If you don't own a Bible and you want one, call me or text me. I'll buy you a Bible and you can pick it up here next Sunday. I'm not going to meet you at Ollie's to pay for it. I will go buy it and you will meet me here next Sunday. There's a double thing. You're getting a Bible and you're getting back into church. I will bribe you to come back to church. I ain't proud. But uh, next Sunday is uh, bring your Bible to church. We need the word in print. I know we got apps, and like Pastor said, that's all under attack. They may wipe it off of uh, Apple or Android, whatever it is that you have. They may wipe it off of the app, the app search engine. You won't be able to find one anywhere. Folks, we have to have the written word in print. I was fortunate to go preach in Russia back in 92, right after the Iron Curtain came down. And there were people who only had two or three pages of the scripture and they held on to those and they clung to those and they reread those and reread those and reread those daily. We are blessed and we don't even realize it half the time. Amen. Amen. Coming to preach tonight is, um, you know, they say dynamite comes in small packages. This guy's a dynamite preacher. And he's an evangelist, and we're just going to re release him tonight to obey the Lord. And uh, Brother Marshall Walker, come and preach the Word of God to us tonight. Let's give Marshall a hand as he comes tonight. All right, good evening. How y'all doing tonight? Good? Y'all alive and awake? All right, hallelujah. Y'all are an intimidating people to preach in front of. You know why? You know why, though? This is a good thing. It's a good thing about you. Because you actually read your word. You know what it says. You, you lean on God. You don't lean on yourselves. That's something to be proud about within yourselves, you know. That's something to, like, take a moment for yourself and be like, wow, I'm learning God. I'm learning him. I'm not leaning on me. I'm actually striving for the word. Now, I'm not, I'm not even on my, my stuff tonight yet. But, man, that's so awesome to me is to be in front of a people who actually search for God and their lives and their ways, you know, and who are dedicated to come to church and learn more, you know, who says, I'm a person who has flaws, but I know a Savior who can, who can right my wrongs, you know. That's awesome. That's what's intimidating is because I'm not even nervous tonight. That's, that's what's crazy to me is because you guys are an amazing people, but I don't believe that you believe that about yourselves. You see what I'm saying? Until we start believing that about ourselves, God sees me as amazing. God sees me as wonderfully and perfectly made in his image and likeness. You know, yeah, you were a sinner. You were a devil worshiper. You were a devil worshiper at one time. You know, you sinned. You fell short. You, you followed Satan. You followed his ways even if you didn't sacrifice anything to Satan. You know, you still lived a sinful life at one point in time. And then you made up a conscious decision to give yourself to Christ. And then he, he wiped the slate clean. He took all the trash, all the scraps on your plate, and he wiped it out and put brand new food onto it. And said, hey, come and dine at my table. Come and dine with me. But do you believe that about yourselves tonight? I'm not even trying to preach like an identity message tonight. I've got a sin message tonight, actually, you know. But identity is needed in this hour because we're at, a, we're at an hour where Christians... I don't believe in purgatory, okay, first off. But Christians are in a state of purgatory. They're half like the world, 
and half light the Lord. They're on the fence. We're in that hour where God is making up, making Christians, his children, decide who are we going to follow eternally? Who are we going to follow? Are we going to jump on God's side of the fence or are we going to stay on the Satan's? Because if you're on the fence, you're already on Satan's side. He owns the fence. He's trying to keep you bound. I heard a great teaching yesterday. Um, maybe, maybe Friday. It was Friday on my way home. And the man said, he was talking about how Peter was told by Jesus, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. You know, against the revelation of Jesus Christ being the son of God. You know, um, the man was given the backstory about where the, the location was when Jesus said this to Peter. And he said in that time period, a gate would often mean protection to keep something out, you know. And the man said that when Jesus wipes you clean, when he rebirths you, when you become a city built on a hill and light that cannot be hid, you're not supposed to be a guarded city. You're supposed to be a city that goes through those gates and says that my God can reach anybody in any dark place. No matter where they made their bed, my God can go through that gate, kick, it, kick the door down, and says, hey, come out and be mine. Come out and follow me. He explained how in those days a rabbi would never say, hey, come and follow me like Jesus did. A teacher would never say, hey, Peter, come and follow me. John, James, come and follow me. Come follow me. In fact, he said that those people would rather go to the rabbi and say, hey, can I follow you? And what it would mean is I don't want to be identified as me anymore. I want to be seen as you are seen. Except Jesus flipped the script. He said nobody is worthy enough to be seen as I am seen. You can't approach me but I'm going to call you out by name. I know your name. And he displayed it so beautifully. He displayed knowing your name so beautifully. He dropped everything that he did. He got baptized for the remission of sin that he had none of. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him and ascended upon him. This is not even my notes. And it fell upon him. And he went out fasted, got temptation on every side, every area of our lives where we've been tempted on. He was tempted on for us to be able to live in this flesh as he lived in this flesh, yet not give way into sin as he did not give way into sin. He restores our heart. He takes it out and puts in a brand new heart because our heart and our flesh is wicked and is beyond measure of wicked. If I don't kill and crucify my flesh daily, I'm a wicked man. I'll have wicked thoughts and I'll be like, God, why? Why? And then this war is waging within my soul. You see what I'm saying? It's that. That stance where purgatory is trying to take hold of your life. And you got this war whether you're going to live for God or live for yourself in the world. Whether you're going to actually crucify your flesh or whether you're going to be like, mm, I know God a little bit, you know. Pastor says he's this. The evangelist says he's this. The prophet says he's this. So I, I assume that's what he is, but I don't know him personally. That has to be erased out of our lives. You know, uh, I thought Alan was going to actually read my notes tonight. I'll get started on my message, I suppose. You know, um, because the word of God says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee. You know, but oftentimes we don't do that. We resist the devil and expect him to flee. But we're not submitted. The only way we grow in submission is by growing and knowing him. Jesus said in John 14 that if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
how many times have we fallen short of just that? I was going to title this message, The Ifs of God, and go from John 14 to John 17, because there's a ton of ifs in that section. If, 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 if. Everyone's like, God doesn't change his mind. What his word says is final. That is true. But if. Are you following the ifs? Are you keeping his commandments? If you love me, you keep my commandments. James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm reading out of the NIV version. I've wrote, written all the verses down tonight. I'm going to be a little bit everywhere. But uh, New King James, babe, or sorry, Dave, my wife's in the back working the computer, if y'all don't know. I'm going to call her babe. Um, she, um, so New King James Version, King James Version, I don't care. You need NLT, whatever. It's all the word of God, you know. Um. I love how it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because with a pure heart, we cannot be double-minded. When our heart, if, our, if out of our heart flows the issues of life, you know, and whatever our heart is full of, the mouth will speak. And in James, it says that the tongue, no man can tame the tongue. But it says here in James 4, 7, purify your heart. Purify your heart, you sinners. And you double-minded. Purify it. How do we purify our hearts? By submitting ourselves to God. It's the, fir- it's the first part. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. And he flees from us. He has to flee from us. Because in Psalm 91, verse 13, you will trample on the lion and the cobra. You will trample on the great lion and the serpent. The devil knows that if you're submitted to God and you resist him, he knows what's coming his way. He knows that you're going to prevail against the gates of hell and that you're going to walk in the kingdom of darkness and you're going to grab the lost by hand and you're going to call them out by name because the spirit of prophecy will abide on you. It will clothe you and you will be able to have words of knowledge. You'll be able to have just a love for them that they never seen because you have a pure heart for God. It was prophesied to me a few weeks ago, that I would have opportunity at work to speak about God out in the parking lot that I haven't had before. And I accepted it. In the moment of acceptance, though, I went through an inner torment, whether I was going to live boastfully and prideful in my own ways or whether I was going to live boldly for God. And it happened two minutes maybe, but I had to make up my mind. Am I going to live boldly to proclaim his name or I'm going to live selfishly and abide in myself and say, hey, just look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. No. No. We got to strip ourselves of that. So I received that prophecy. And I decided in my heart to lay myself down. Because I have to trample on the lion and the cobra and the great lion and the serpent. I have to. I have to because God called me into it. I don't have a choice really. I don't have a choice but to lay myself down for him because he laid himself down to me. The word of God says that if any man sees my face, he can live no longer. I've seen his face in a way that I can't even describe it unto you because I've seen his face in a goodness, in a beauty, in a way that's just so, so loving just to me. It's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ that will change our lives, that will keep you from going after the ways of the wicked, that will keep you after going after your own ways. You know, unless we have that personal revelation and see his face in that revelation, 
we will continue to live for ourselves. We won't know how to submit to God. If we choose to stay in sin, we block God's good and perfect will for our lives. We can see 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Therefore, there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your own shame. And stop sinning. You know, Tyler, Steve, and Alan, at the beginning of service, we're all having this conversation. It was cool. Because I have one here. It is shameful to willingly sin. They were talking about Bathsheba and how she was looked upon. And then he went back in and had Bathsheba brought to him. You know, how sin was in part willing and how it was also unwilling at that time. You know, and that was just a cool little debate. But when it becomes willingly sinful, it becomes shameful. Shameful or on part because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation, born again, and God abides in us now. God abides in us now. But when we go against the kingdom that he has built upon us and built within us, and we say, I'm going to willingly sin. I know your word, God, but I'm going to go back in my own ways. I'm going to go back to Egypt. You know, I mean, what you've done for me is good, but I still like the taste of that. I still like the taste of the tree of good of knowledge. I, st I, I still like that. It's in my mouth, and I can't, I can't fight. Kill your flesh. That's what it comes into. That's what it comes into. Kill your flesh. Your flesh is always going to love the substance of this world. Your flesh is always going to love the taste of the forbidden fruit. Because your flesh is enmity against God. See, I believe I'm in front of a body of believers who need equipped, but who are also righteously seen in God's sight. God sees you as righteous because you are seated at his right hand. And he sees his mercy that he's poured upon your life. You know, he doesn't, when Abraham made it into the book of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, in the Old Testament, man, he messed up. Sarah, she messed up. When, in the book of faith, though, they're not identified as their mess ups. That's what we Christians need to take in accountability of our own lives. Is God's no longer looking at me as the mess up, even though I'm walking still on this earth. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times, yet he gets up eight. You're striving for righteousness. Don't fail yourself. Don't, fail, don't take the test and then fail yourself when you see yourself falling short. Stop that. That has to stop. You have to cut that part out of your own conscience. You have to renew your mind in the area of God's grace. Because unless we see his grace, we're always going to feel condemned. We're always going to feel like we're a victim. We're always going to feel like I'm not worth the call. And if we don't feel like we're worth the call, we'll never run a race that is worth the call. Yet we are called to run a, wait, run a race that is worth the call. We are called to run hard and steadfast, aimed at a prize, because we know the prize and our reward if we stay strong in the Lord, if we stay in him. But if we don't, if we keep our eyes looking backwards, we're not fit for the kingdom. That's not my words. That's God's words. He says, if you put your hands to the plow and you do the work and you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom. You're not fit. But it doesn't say he will disqualify you forever. It just says in that moment, you're not fit. Repent of your sins. Wash your hands. Renew your heart in the Lord. Tell him I lay myself down. Become the living sacrifice. Because that's what we are called to do.
That's who we are called to be. You know, and I'm not, I don't even feel like I'm preaching to anybody in this room tonight. I honestly feel like somebody's out there that needs this message more than anybody in this room. All honesty. Because I see gold in this room. It's just not, it's just not because I'm an evangelist. It's just not because I see the call on your lives. It's just not because I see Jesus working in you. But it's because God has divine appointments for people. God has divine breakthrough for people. God has divine ways to use our keys. If we submit ourselves to God in obedience, it leads to righteousness. I'm going to get to the keys. That wasn't just a cliffhanger. If we submit ourselves to God, obedience leads to righteousness. We can see Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that through that though we used to be slaves to sin, we have came to obey from our heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to go off the heart again. Because it's obeying from our hearts. Not our fleshly man. But yet that new thing in us. That new part that God has restored in us. That God has redeemed. You see what I'm saying? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You have obeyed from your heart to the pattern of which we've been taught. So it's possible. It's possible to become pure in our hearts to where we tread and we only... We only meditate on the things of God, where we only submit ourselves to the things of God, where only our heart, the abundance of our heart flows blessings because blessings and curses cannot flow from the same place. They can't flow out of the same vessel. Otherwise, the vessel is tainted. You see what I'm saying? You can't have two streams running in the same water without them crashing into each other. It can't happen. But you can come to a point in yourselves where you say, I am a man, but I'm now a man of God. Or I am a woman, but now I am a woman of God. And that's where you can re-identify yourself and flip the perspective of your own life and how God sees you. If we don't flip the perspective from how we see ourselves and how God sees ourselves, we're going to stay in a place of unworthiness. Or we're going to stay in a place of pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance will destroy a man, a man or a woman of God quicker than anything. Pride and arrogance will say, I've never fallen short. I've never fallen short. I came to God and I've just never fallen. You're not striving. If you've never fallen short, you're, staying, you're a monk. You're, you're doing your own thing and you're staying away from people. You're staying away from the world. Monks are not righteous. I'll say that. Monks are not Christians. They're not, they need to repent. Okay. But. My, my point is, you're not going after the lost sheep. You cannot go after the lost sheep and not have a hiccup. It's a reality. But if you have a hiccup, if you get caught in a moment, repent, 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 repent. Because he is just and he is righteous to forgive you of your sin. He is right and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness and wipe it clean again. But there is a point, that is I'm getting to. There is a point where you obey from your heart, where you don't have to have those hiccups anymore. And when you do, they're so far spread out that you don't even acknowledge them because you see that it's not you 
anymore. That is sin lying in you. And whatever the light makes manifest, he is willing to pull out. So when that sin comes out of you, just leave it out. Just leave it out and say, God, you're doing a good and perfect work in my life. You're purifying my heart. You seen that there was a weed in me and you grabbed hold of it and you ripped it out of me. And I had a hiccup. Does that make sense? Does that sound biblical? That's the thing. That's the thing. Because unless we know God, we don't know what is biblical and what isn't. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about submitting ourselves to God. And we're talking about the possibility of man walking in unionship with God, which is completely possible. Because the word of God says so. And whatever the word of God says is biblical and is from his heart. But do we interpret it the right way? Because we can read the word of God and take hold of it and preach anything we want from it. If we don't have the right heart. If we don't have the knowingness of God. If we don't have his perspective. If we don't have his revelation of his word. We're going to twist scripture. This word was written for the spirit that he gives us when we are born again. This word will twist and, and condemn the fleshly man. It will confuse the fleshly man. And God is not author of confusion. But in the fleshly man, your fleshly man will be confused. That's why to some, this is just a book. That's why to some, this holds an old power. But to others who have tasted and seen of his goodness, who have walked hand in hand with the Lord, who have seen themselves in the mirror of his reflection, this book holds power. This book holds restoration. This book holds eternal value. Yeah. 18 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Righteousness leads to holiness and holiness therefore leads to eternal life. It's interesting to me when Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. We stop usually when he starts to talk about stuff like that. We don't, we don't, we don't believe full-heartedly that we can be holy as he is holy. We can be perfect as he is perfect. But yet Jesus says we can. How much are we willing to sacrifice? How much are we willing to give in? You know, I've been stu studying, studying Smith Wigglesworth. He's from 1920s. He's seen thousands upon thousands of miracles and deliverances in the he convicts me with his messages, and that's good. If you're under a man of God or if you're under a minister who doesn't get convicted by another man's ministry, another man's stream, another man's run, you're following the wrong man, wrong woman. If you're following a man or a person of God who says, I have all the answers and no other ministry does, get away from those people. Stay far away from them. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Stay as far away as you can. If they deny their shortcomings and they have an excuse for everything, well, that was just God. Stay away. Stay away. That's the author of confusion, which God is not. Stay away. Because we can live a holy lifestyle. We can live a holy lifestyle by the Holy Spirit. When we allow ourselves to be so submitted to God that his fruits grow righteously in us, abundantly in us. 
And anyone at any time, instant, in season, out of season, can come to our fig tree and pick out fruit and say, man, that is good. I brought up the prophecy that was given to me a few weeks ago because that's been happening in my life. A man and his girlfriend, his baby mama is what he calls her, broke up. And it's been ugly. And it was a horrible story of how and why. But then all of a sudden, he's asking me for a ride to work. And he's like, man, uh, I'm not even doing nothing, all right? I'm just being me. And he's like, man, honestly, uh, I've been praying to God. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, he's like, I've been praying to God, and uh, it's just weird. I'm like, why is it weird? He's like, uh, I used to go to church and stuff, but I, I, it's just weird, man. I don't know. I was like, I didn't, I didn't elaborate a ton. You set the hook. I say, well, he hears you. Keep doing what you're doing. He hears you. Now, does he hear him? Absolutely. Will he answer his prayers? That depends. Is he praying from a selfish ambition? Is he praying for self-gain? Is he praying for his plans and not God's plans? That's all up to the Lord to decide. I can't judge the man's heart. But what is key is that man now knows that God hears him. You're not the judge over everybody's lives. We Even no matter how pure our walks are, you know, we can judge from a place of righteousness through the word of God. But we cannot judge from the place of the judgment seat. That's not for us to sit in. That's for the Holy Spirit, for the, for the Lord Jehovah Jesus to sit in. And for the, him to steer their hearts, for him to pull them in. But the spirit in you sets the hook and pulls them close to him. Because he abides one and one with you. You know, the more that I'm listening to Smith Wigglesworth, he has a great teaching on YouTube, about 18 chapters on YouTube um, of one of his books. And um, the more I'm hearing every night, my dreams get more alive in God and more alive in God. And I'm seeing more and more than I've ever seen in God before. But it's not even Smith Wigglesworth's spirit. It's the spirit of God through his life that wrote down in a book. You know, I never believed in Christians writing books to make money really before until I've tasted and seen of some of these books that Christians have written. You know, true men of God have written because it takes hold on one's heart. It takes hold on one's life and it starts to transform them. It starts to convict them. You know, I've been saved for five years now, you know, coming up this spring. So I'm young in the Lord. But yet I've grown so much in my first year and a half. I've seen so much, you know, but I have to rid myself of old ideologies, old theories, old doctrines, old worldly ways. You know, I have to rid myself of those things and say, God, let me taste and see your goodness. Let me test and try the spirit that this man of God is working behind, Lord God. Because I have to see that it is you that is operating. Lord, I know your voice has never failed me, and your voice has always been with me ever since a young age. So I need your voice to direct me. Whether I'm supposed to be under this man, whether I'm supposed to be reading this book, whether he's supposed to be discipling me, whether he was really in you, or whether he was in some type of thing that wasn't in you. You know, we were once dead in our sins. I was once dead in my flesh. You were once dead in your flesh because of your sin. And when we were dead, 
Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So God displayed his love and his perfect plan for our righteousness by, by the love of the cross. By love on the cross, he displayed it all. By what he done through his son. See, you can see it in 1 John 4 through 8. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with how he's seen us, though, before we fell. It has everything to do with how he's seen our shortcoming and said, I still love them. It's, it has everything to do with how he's seen our sin and says, my son, you are worth that. You are worth me giving myself in myself because God is three in one, right? So God gave himself for us. God gave himself for us so that way we could be covered in his righteousness. That way we can be born again. That way we can have eternal life through knowingness of him. Because eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ, the one and only begotten son. That's not my words. That's God's word. If you don't read like it, read John 14. I'm not even talking to this room. Somebody out there. Read John 14. You know, because God is love. You know, and if we don't see his love, we miss the cross. And if we miss the cross, we miss his mark. His mark. He hit the bullseye. And we say, that isn't good enough. That isn't good enough. I'm still a sinful man. He says we become slaves to righteousness, free from sin. Free from sin. And yet when you say that I'm always going to fall short, I'm always going to live in my flesh, though in part that may be true, but if you crucify your flesh, it will never be true. If you stay under submission to God and crucify your flesh, that will never be true. Because you will walk and abide in him. And you will be as light as he is light into this world. And this world will start coming to you. And start pulling fruit off your tree. And start saying, I need that. But you cannot give them that if you are in the state of purgatory. You cannot give them that if you are like them. Jesus says they are in this world, but they are not of it. He said that twice. He said that twice in John 14. They are in this world, but they are not of it. And then he said another, and then he said it again. He reiterated himself. That way we could be secure in him, secure in the kingdom that we are now in. Because if we're not secure in him, we will always have the insecurity of what if this doesn't work. And in that place, that's that place of purgatory for a Christian. What if this doesn't work? What's my backup plan? What's my, what's my saving grace? What if that blood wasn't enough? What if what God sacrificed for me wasn't enough? What if he isn't real real as he is to them to me? What if I can kind of be like them and yet be like the church at the same time? That's the devil. That has the devil's work all over it. That's the state of mind where God, God has to rip you of yourself. God has to tear that veil out of you and say, be done with this. Put it away. Put away your sin. Put away your unrighteousness and clothe yourself in me. Choose me today. Choose today whom you will serve. You know, because if we miss that, we live for ourselves every single day. 
Every morning that we wake up, we dismantle the devil's plans over our lives because the devil doesn't wake, want you to wake up in the new mercies and in the new grace every single morning. The devil wants you to wake up and feel shame, condemned, guilt, suffering, depression, anxiety. The devil wants you to wake up tomorrow morning as you go to sleep tonight. Not knowing him as you ought. Not everybody in this room. I don't believe anybody in this room, actually. I believe everybody in this room is striving for God. But I believe there is somebody out there who is in purgatory. I believe there's somebody out there who isn't living as they know they should. You know? And if this message is to you in this room, you're going to have a chance tonight to repent of your sin and of your unrighteousness. Because Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you know, we sing it. We sing it. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You know, we sing it from here. <laughs> what about here? What about here? Your hearts are far from me, the Lord says. Their hearts are far from me. The only way we get our hearts close to him is by submitting unto him. The only way we can be identified in the mirror, the image of God, is by this word. We have seen ourselves in the word, and yet we identify ourselves with the word. We don't just read the word and walk away from it and forget what we look like. That'd be a foolish man to look at yourself, gaze upon yourself in the mirror, walk away, and five minutes later, what do I look like? Did I cut my hair today? Is my hair short? Are my eyes blue? Is my beard red? Like, do I have four fingers? Like, that's what happens when you are double-minded. That, hallelujah, I got four fingers, I do. That's what happens, though, when you're double-minded. You look in the mirror, and you walk away, and you forget what you look like. That's what happens when your heart is impure. That's what happens when you're not submitted to God. That's what happens when you are like this world, yet trying to be like the church. You know, I haven't preached out of a suit in a long time, just because I understand what a suit can do for a preacher. You know, it is a bait and a hook for some. But for others, it is, well, look at this man of God. And it's not like that. You have to be clothed in him. You have to be clothed in his armor. It's not about Saul's armor. It's not about the shiny things of this life. It's about, is, am, am I accepting my rags as filthy righteousness under the Lord? Am I accepting his garments as garments of praise? Am I accepting his garments as garments of righteousness? Am I willing to lay myself down and come as he came? Am I willing to take off the old man and put on the new? It's not about the shiny stuff. That's what the world wants. The world will only accept some men of God in a suit. The world with an uncircumcised heart will only accept a man of God in a suit, in a attire that looks like a man of God. You know, I had a boss see me in my fur little jacket, you know, and uh, he's like, you look like you were straight from the hood. Like, you look like you were straight from the hood. I was like, I was. I was back then. I'm not now. But when I dress as I once did and I have a new heart, and people talk to me, you look like me, but you're not like me. Have you been with Jesus? Is that not what they said with Peter? We can tell he's been with Jesus for the way that he talks. He looks like one of us. He denied Jesus three times. He warmed himself by a false fire and then came a firehouse for God. You know, when the tongues of fire fell, when they were in the room, the upper room, and the fire of God fell. But when he denied him, he was being warned by the world's fire. He was around the worldly people. 
But he came to the point when he had a revelation of Jesus Christ and the fire of God hit him. And his flesh did not change. He didn't just grow six feet tall. He didn't grow in stature and muscles. He didn't grow to be a handsome man. He probably was. He was arrogant. He was prideful. You know, he, he probably was a handsome man. I'm just saying. But he didn't change his fleshly appearance. He didn't change his garments. He changed how he walked. Because when you have a changed heart, when you are submitted to God because of the revelation that Jesus himself gives you through your hunger through him, because he baits you and pulls you in. But when you take a bite of what's on the hook, you stay hungry for that hook. You stay hungry for that food. You stay hungry for what he first gave you. You know, you stay hungry for the milk even though you're on the meat. You're like, God, when you pulled me in, I will never forget it. You know, you, you will never forget the first time God pulled you in. God reeled you in. I won't. If you do, well, I'm, pray for you. Pray for yourself, for real. Because if you forget the testimony of where you came from, you're not going to have anything to give this worldly people. If you don't remember where you once were, I don't care if you were close to God. I don't care if you only cussed a little bit in your life and that's as bad as you got. Or if you were the worst pedophile, rapist, whoever you are, murderer. God can transform each and every life the same. God can rebirth every single life the same. I don't care if you're a witch or warlock. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit those toes tonight. I'm going to hit the toes of the flesh. Because there can be transformation to people who we say in this world do not deserve it. But Jesus cries out, I see them in me. I see me in them. Jesus cries out, I hung myself on that cross for them. I made up my mind to submit myself to my Father. Not my will, Lord, but your will. I made up my mind, Jesus cries out. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, Jesus says in John 14, 21. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. But if we miss that, if we miss that, if we miss the, simpl the simplicity of Jesus' love for us, the simplicity of what it takes for us to love him. Keep his commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I can preach this stuff to my child and she gets it. My eight-year-old little girl gets it. That's how simple God made it. You know? God didn't make it complicated. God didn't make it uncomplicated for the ones who are smart, intelligent, are the ones who are uneducated. He made it so simple that the children gathered to him. He made it so, God, before Jesus even received the Holy Spirit, made his gospel so simple that Jesus preached it at age 11 to the Pharisees and the high priests in the synagogue. He answered their questions. Read the Bible. Don't believe me, read the Bible. He answered their questions and they were amazed. How much more though? can we do with the Holy Spirit? How much more, though, can we do with the Holy Spirit now that we are submitted with the Spirit to God? How much more, though, can we do when we are submitted with the Holy Spirit to God and working out our salvation with fear and trembling unto Him? How far are we willing to take this walk with God? How, how far are we willing to lay ourselves down and lay our own will down to say, Jesus, create yourself in me? No man builds a house without first checking out the price. No man starts a building without being able to complete it. 
if he starts a building and is unable to com complete it, he is considered a fool among the people. That's the word of God. God will not stop his creation in you. God will not stop his building process in your life. Even though you fall short, even though in construction there was a hiccup, even though maybe a wall wasn't straight when, when building, the foundation is firm. And when the foundation is firm, you can straighten out the wall. Because with a sloped foundation, that wall is always going to be crooked. But with a leveled foundation, when he is your leveled ground, when you dig deep into the soil and build your house upon the rock, when the gates of hell try to prevail against you, they cannot. Because you are submitted unto God. You know his ways. You know the builder. You have the chief cornerstone in place. And you understand that a righteous person falls seven times yet gets up eight. You stop being so hard on yourself. And you start seeing yourself from the throne of grace. You start seeing yourself renewed every single morning. Because if we don't see ourselves with grace, if we, if we disqualify ourselves before we even start running the race or while we're running the race, before we even get to the finish line, we're never going to complete the race. We're going to stop right there and we're going to say we're not worth it. As much as we aren't worth it, he says we are. As much as we're not worth the blood, he says we are. And what he has already finished is finished. His blood's already been spilled. There's no taking it back up into heaven. No, there ain't. There's no more of that. There's you fulfilling the ways of flesh. That's what stops you from the love of God. You fulfilling the ways of flesh. But now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in him and you fall down, you can't be condemned. Because a mind that stays fixed on him has perfect peace. I'm trying to re- I'm trying to give you a new lens to see this life through, to see your daily walk through. You know, and that's not even my message, but I guess identity is going to be tonight's message. Because if we don't, if we don't get the new lens, if we don't get the new walk, if we don't see ourselves as he sees us, if we don't see the amount of grace that he pours out over our shortcomings, we're going to feel disqualified and we're going to feel like we don't even need to put fire on the wood on the fire anymore. Just let it burn out. Just let it burn out. We stop becoming a sacrifice. But when we start seeing him, you know, I fell short, God, I repent. And you come from a sincere place in your heart. You don't have to cry crocodile tears. God knows the measurements of your heart. If you repent and you're sincere, repent. If you're just going to mumble prayers, he ain't even going to pick them up. If you're not sincere in your repentance, he's just going to. I would love to help you. I would love to help you. But you're staying submitted to your sin. You're staying a, a slave to unrighteousness. You're staying a slave to ungodly ways. You're keeping yourself there. When I want to call you here, you're staying there. You're being so stubborn that you're denying myself. You're denying me. You stop your stubbornness. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me and you're going to go by a fire and people and you're going to cuss and you're going to do this. and you're going to. But Peter, I have a plan for you. I will come back for you, Peter. I will reinstate you as my disciple. I will make in you a new creation. Stop beating yourself up on your shortcomings. Stop thinking every time you fall short, a devil has entered you. That's a big one. Stop thinking every time you fall short, the devil enters you. No. No. The door has been sealed with blood. Now, if you keep opening the door with willful sin, yes. The devil will enter. The devil will have a heyday over your life, and he will torment you all over again. And you will feel like a slave back in Egypt. And you will say, God, it would be better for me 
to not even hear your word than to hear your word and be tormented by it because now I know it and I'm not doing it. That's, that's what happens. When you say, I'd rather, wouldn't, Moses, wouldn't it have been better for us just to stay in Egypt and die there than out here in this wilderness? You came through the Red Sea. He parted the water. Not only did he part the that's a miracle in itself. He turned mud into dry land. Chariots were racing down that thing. A chariot in mud would have got stuck. The horse would have collapsed. He made dry land under that water. He made a crooked road straight. Yeah, you're saying my blood isn't enough? You're saying what I brought you out of isn't enough? You're so caught in your own ways that you're, you, you don't want me? But yet his mercies are renewed every single morning. His grace is renewed bountifully every single morning for the saint and the lost. He resists the humbled, but he, he resists the pride, but he gives grace to the humbled. He resists the proud. He does. When you say, it's not enough for me, Jesus, I'm always going to fall short. He cannot cover you as he wants to. He cannot cover you with the amount of grace that he desires to cover you. Because you're being proudful. You're staying in your own ways. You're staying in your own lane. And that's not where God placed you. That's not where he brought you out of to place your feet on solid ground to where you can run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. Walk and not not grow weary, run and not faint. He's made in you a new creation. The problem is purgatory. The problem is whether you're going to live in that new creation, whether you're going to live in that new place, whether you're going to love him and keep his commandments, or whether you're going to love yourself more than him, because that's what it comes down to. Do I love myself, Lord, more than you? Do I love me? in my own ways, and what feels good and tastes good to me and my likeness more than I love what tastes good to you? Do I love my own words more than I love your words? This isn't a cheerful message. I wasn't expecting it to be. This isn't a message where we get a round of applause. This isn't a message where I, even a bunch of amens are given. This is a message where we check ourselves tonight when we go home. And we say, Lord, Create in me a new man. Even I have to grow. Even I'm not short of this message. Even I'm not surpassed it. This message comes to me first. And this message has to be true in my heart before I can even pr pr preach it, write it down for a message from the podium. This message has to be alive in me to where I make up my own mind. And I say I have to live in Christ. And I have to die to myself. Because if I preach from a place of hypocrisy, I disqualify myself. That's where Paul would talk about, do not preach where you're disqualified. Don't, don't disqualify yourself. Don't, play, don't preach from a place of hypocrisy. Don't preach from that arrogance. Don't preach from that pride because God's grace cannot be on that pride. God's grace cannot be there in the midst of you. But where his grace is, he can do works and wonders and miracles. Where that grace is, he can make the crooked road straight. Where that grace is, he can renew minds. He can transform hearts. Where that grace is, his will will be done. Where that grace is, he will grab, grab the worst of them. Grab the worst of them and make them, them make in them a clean spirit. He will grab the worst of them, the worst of our secrets, and make them manifested to himself and ourselves. Before he ever displays our secret place publicly, 
he will display it to you privately. If you have hidden sin, he will convict you of it. If you have a hidden agenda, if you have a hidden lifestyle, he will convict you of it. Time and time again, his grace is sufficient to do it. But if you don't give way to those convictions, if you don't give way to him trying to yield you of yourself, trying to yield you of those sins, trying to peel them out of you, like pulling back the peelings of an onion, he will expose you in front of his people. He will expose you in front of believers. He will expose you in the light. Because everything done in darkness will become manifested in the light. And if it doesn't, it's because he's still convicting you. If it doesn't, it's still because he wants to transform you in the private place. But it will. You can't keep any secrets from the light. For God is light. And God knows all and he sees all. And he is in all. And all things in him was made, and nothing that has been made would be made without him. I got more notes. I do. But that's not what he wants. He wants us to truly know him for who he is. He wants us to truly check ourselves in the reflection of his mirror and say, God, am I allowing my clay to be molded by your potter hand? Am I allowing the sword to be forged by your fire? Am I allowing myself to go through a trial that you've placed before me to look more like you? Am I allowing you to seal the cracks on my foundation? He wants us to go to a place, I believe tonight, not, I don't believe everything happens at the altar. Everything happens at this altar. Everything happens at the altar of our heart. Everything happens at the altar of our own personal sacrifice. Because if we come up here and I lay hands on you, a pastor or whomever lays hands on you, and you feel him, and you feel his love, that area cannot sustain you unless you keep in that area. But it can sustain you if you stay in that area of transformation, if you allow that fire to grow, if you put fuel on that fire and say, I just need rekindled tonight. I need to know what revival looks like tonight because that's what this church is going to, not only this body, but the world's church, like God's church in this earth is going to, is the place of personal revival. Are we going to be personally revived seriously in God? Or are we going to wait for every other church to be revived, every other saint to be revived and go out on the streets and see this stuff happen that God said will happen in the last days? Or are we going to run a personal revival now and say, God, I'm going to be a forerunner. I'm going to be a forerunner for you. I'm going to be a forerunner for your revival. I'm going to be a forerunner for what your kingdom looks like here on this earth before you even release this last time revival. Do we make in ourselves a clean slate for God? Do we make in ourselves a sanctuary where he desires to abide in? Do we make in ourselves a place where he wants to be? Because unless we do that, he will resist us. Unless we clean ourselves up for him, he, he does the cleaning. But we make the sacrifice. Our sacrifice allows him to come in and wipe everything clean. Our sacrifice allows him to say, yes. 
That's what I've been waiting for. Our sacrifice of invitation of God, I repent. A repentance is a sacrifice. A repentance is truly an invitation for God to come into your life. Unless we repent, he will resist us because we will stay proudful. We will stay in pride. But if we repent from a true, authentic heart and say, God, I am unclean, making me cleanse, cleanse me, God. Making me a clean vessel. Making me a clean spirit, a contrite heart. Make in me your kingdom. He can't come in. Because then we stay in a place of pride, and he stays in a place of, I want to be there. I don't want God to look at me and say, Marshall, I would really love to be in your life, but you won't let me. Because you have this hidden sin that you're not going to repent of, because you're too prideful to do it. Instead, go to your prayer closet. Go to the bathroom. Go to the shower. Go to that secret place where it's just you and Holy Spirit. Go on a 40-minute drive. Go on a two-minute session with God because two minutes with God can do more than a lifetime without him. More can happen in two minutes with him than what you've accomplished in your whole lifetime without him. Even if you felt like you've known him, if you just knew his words and quoted it and quoted the scripture and lived a good life and was a good person, but yet didn't walk in authentic, authentic walk with him. Away from me, you worker of iniquity. Away from me. I never knew you. You never knew me. You knew my word. You quoted it. You sung songs of praise. You preached a good word. You healed the sick. You prophesied. You cast out devils. Away from me, you worker of iniquity. You stayed in the place of purgatory where you would not let me capture your heart. You would not surrender yourself, your ways to me. Instead, we have to come to a place where we submit ourselves to him, where we say, God, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Cleanse me of anything impure. Expose it into me. Expose it to me, Jesus. Make it known to me so that way I can allow you to have your hand on it. That way I can allow you to have your perfect works because anything you touch, Lord, becomes whole. Anything you touch becomes cleansed. When Anything that touches you becomes clean. When the bleeding woman touched Jesus, her bleeding illness stopped. Because she had the faith to touch him. Because he's so holy. He's so pure. Any, I guarantee if Peter's shadow healed the sick, Jesus' shadow healed the sick. If anything would come to him, it could become clean. As long as what came to him wanted to be cleansed. If, if you go to him and you don't truly want it here... You'll go through a session and get nowhere. You'll go through a session and feel like, man, I shouldn't have even gone. Man, those people are crazy. Man, those people don't know what they're talking about. You'll go through, I'm not even talking about a deliverance session. I'm talking about even coming to church. You'll go to church and be like, oh, that was fun. Ready for next Sunday. And you're living that American Christian lifestyle, a purgatory. Where you're okay. God's got grace over you. I'm not disqualifying you from being saved. I'm not. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. But I am saying that unless you create in yourself a cleanse, a cleansing, a place, an atoning for him, a sacrifice for him, unless you cry out, fill me up until I overflow. I want to run over, unless you mean it, from here, not here, here, not here. Your brain's going to fight it until it becomes renewed. But once it becomes renewed, don't fight the renewal. Walk in it. 
Once you see his goodness, put your faith into practice. Once you see what he's doing in your life, walk in that area of life until he adds more. And when he adds more, because he will, if you're trusted with little, little, he will add more. And then you'll be walking in much. And when you become walking in much, stay walking with him because he's going to add even more. He's going to add more to your kingdom because he wants to build his kingdom in you. But you are a representation of his kingdom. If you're a representation of his kingdom, not only are you a city built on a hill, but you're a kingdom of God walking on this earth. You're a kingdom of God walking on this earth where any can come to drink from your fountain and get satisfied. Any can come and pull fruit from your tree and be, be satisfied from their hunger. The hunger and thirst will come. But will you be able to satisfy their need? That's what Jesus is looking for. A body and a people who are able to satisfy the need of the hungry. The need of the hungry. Because that's what he did. He is the representation. He is the mold. He is the master. He is the first and the last, the one who was and is and yet to come. And he has built and established many churches through us on this earth. Churches of Christ, churches of Jesus, churches to represent him through us. But unless we walk in the kingdom with his keys, because whatever a man loosens on earth will be loose in heaven. And whatever a man binds on earth will be bound in heaven. If we don't know the keys to the kingdom, if we don't know the, simpl the simplicity of his commandments, we won't know the keys. But when we know the simplicity of the commandments and we know how to keep them, we know how to follow them, he gives us those keys to bind and to loose. And when we bind and when we loose, it is done. When Jesus went as far as this. He said, whoever sins you forgive, I will forgive. We don't, we don't necessarily believe that. We don't always preach that. We don't always take hold of that. I was praying for a man one time, and he, he believed. He believed. And I said, Jesus, I forgive him of his sins, for you forgive him of his sins. And that's true. That scripture just came out of nowhere on me that day. But it's what the man needed to hear. A healing didn't take place. Nothing happened that I prayed for other than the man hearing that he was forgiven of his sins. Other than the man hearing that Jesus forgave him of his sins. But unless Jesus said it, I wouldn't have thought of it. Unless Jesus had said, whoever's sins you forgive, I will forgive. That would have been so far from me. Because I would have thought of it from a human standpoint to where I cannot forgive sin. To where I cannot, and it's not heresy. It's not coming from the place where I sit on the throne of, of judgment seat. And I say, I forgive, I forgive your sin, I forgive your, no. And you're going to hell, and no. It's from the place of humility, where hearts need to hear what Jesus says over their lives. Where people need to know that Jesus truly forgives them. And they will only see that through your life. They will only, see, I'm qualifying you. None of you are disqualified from this. I don't know why every time I preach, I go to the qualified and unqualified area. But it's because we have to stir that in ourselves. When God puts a calling on somebody's lives and a message on somebody's life, he will not allow that calling to drift away from them until that area has been filled in the, in the people that he's preaching it to. I will not grow past the you're, you're qualified, unqualified part until we all start walking in qualification of ourselves. Until we all start seeing ourselves as qualified in his eyes. As long as I preach. Now if I go forth in, in front of another body of believers. 
And they all see themselves as God's righteousness, God's kingdom, God's children, God's people. And they see themselves clothed in identity. I'm curious as to what God's going to pour out of my heart. I'm curious as to the lens that he's going to place over my eyes. I'm curious as to the way the word is going to come off of my tongue. Because this body of believers have to know that they are qualified. They have to know that they are not neglected in the sight of God. They have to know that, they, that he trusts you. He trusts you so much with yourselves that he trusts that you will give yourselves to him. He trusts you so much with yourselves that he gave you free will to walk as you want to walk. To whether you're going to lay your life down or whether you're not. Whether you're going to be a slave to righteousness or whether you're going to be a slave to disobedience. Whether you're going to cleanse your heart and create in yourselves a new, a new area of life. Whether you're going to surrender and say, Jesus, here I am. Fill me up. Just fill me up. Just fill me up. Let your goodness and your mercies and grace overflow my life. You know, we, I cry out all the time, God, I don't need to see the miracles. I don't need to see, I don't need to hear the prophecies. I don't need to speak them. I just want to be able to walk in your love. I just want to, I, I truly want to display your love to this world the way that you displayed it. The way that you displayed it, because if I don't, I fall short of your glory. I fall short of the calling that you've placed on my life. If I don't walk as he walked, I fall short of him. Because I fall short of the personal commandment that he's given each and every one of us. Follow me. Abide in me. Walk as I've walked. Those are personal commandments that he has given each and every single one of us. And they become personal every time we read them. He reminds us of them every time he reads them. It's just not a commandment to me. It's just not a commandment to the fivefold. It's a commandment to the believers. Walk as he has walked. It wasn't, it wasn't said with a question mark. He didn't say, abide in me if you feel like it. Abide in me if you're a prophet. Abide in me if you're an apostle. Abide in me if you're an evangelist, a teacher, a preacher. No. He said, abide in me if you believe. Abide in me. Abide in me. If you hear my words, abide in me. If you hear my voice, abide in me. If I've came to you, if I've called you out, abide in me. Before it's all said and done, every ear will get a chance to hear the word. Every ear will get a chance to accept him as Lord and Savior. Every ear. So I know that he has called us all the same. I know he has given us all the same command to abide in him. I know that he has given us all the same. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I know that he is not a respectable persons. I know that he wants to build in you a kingdom of God. I know that he wants to put his glory upon you. Because Jesus prayed it out in John 17 that we may be glorified as he is glorified. That we may walk as he walked. I know that because I've had personal revelation. I've seen a place of his face. And revelation that hasn't been described to me through other ministers. That hasn't been given to me except through him. Sure, I've heard thousands upon thousands of messages in my life on YouTube, in person. But none of those will sustain the area of my life that God has reserved for himself. Unless I give that area that God's reserved for himself of my life. I will continue to be hungry, and I will continue be, to be thirsty, and I will continue to stay in that place of, well, pastor says you are this, God. The evangelist says you're this. The prophet says you are this, and the man at work says you are this. And I believe all of them are true, but none of them are true in your heart. 
You have to rid yourself of those places. You have to check your hearts. This message may seem dry. This message may seem like milk. But this message is from the word of God. This message is packed with verses of his heart, of his cry. Because the word of God is the Lord's heart. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. God's heart has been written on paper for us to implant in us. To us to choose to say, Lord, put this in me. I've seen a video on Facebook where a kid in probably elementary school, he was probably five years old. He's a, a foreign a foreign boy, probably Chinese, I don't know, it doesn't matter. And he took the words on his paper and he went like this. And he put, himself, he put the words on himself. Now, nothing happened, obviously. The word, he didn't memorize the words. None of that happened. But that's what we are to do as believers. We are to see this word, and we are to clothe ourselves in this word. We are to pick this word up, and we are to put those garments on us. We are to walk in his praise, because where his praise is, the spirit of heaviness cannot prevail against it. Where his word is, his peace will be there. Where his word is, his fruit will abide. Where his word is, his spirit will dwell. And where his spirit dwells, he will be because he will not leave his spirit in a vacant room. He will put his spirit in a room without vacancy. When his spirit comes into us, it cleanses us. Jesus said to the disciples, you have been cleansed already from the word that I have given you. Because they have received his word personally, they have been cleansed. But do we believe that? Do we believe that his word, when we receive it, it cleanses our soul, it cleanses our being, it cleanses our spirit? Oftentimes, we don't. And that's why oftentimes we see Christians in the state of purgatory, because we don't allow his words to be true in our hearts. We don't allow his words to cleanse us. We don't allow his words to take manifestation hold on our lives. Because when his word does that, when his word becomes alive in us, when his word starts to manifest in us, we don't have a struggle of putting off the old man and putting on the new. We don't have the struggle anymore of saying, God, I want it to be my way. And, Lord, I don't know about your way. No, instead we say, God, I know your way. I don't want it to be my way. Lord, I know your righteousness. I want to walk in your righteousness because I know my righteousness is like filthy rags unto you. I don't know how to close this message because I feel like there's so much I can elaborate on it. There's so many verses that I can tie into it. There's so many ways that this thing can be unlocked. Because there's many keys to his kingdom. But we only have one lock on our hearts. And that lock is ourselves. We lock ourselves away from God. We lock, our, lock ourselves away from his plans. When we don't open up to him. When we don't allow his word to take hold on us, we're building up that lock. We're saying, God, no, that can't be. The time with the Lord is serious. The time with the Lord, he wants to fulfill not only biblical promises over our lives, but prophetic promises over our lives. But not only promises for our Christian walk, but promises for this, uh, the sinner's walk. Jesus prayed in John 17 for those who would believe through our words because our words become his. Jesus prayed that they would believe because of us. He didn't only pray for us in John 17. 
He prayed for the lost as well. But if we don't become circumcised in our hearts, if we just go through the ceremony of circumcision and it doesn't become alive in us, we miss it. We miss the mark. I'm not even, like, I'm not talking to this room. You guys are a body of believers who know who you are. You guys are a people who are running after God the best that you know how to. But further that walk, further that run, stir it up in you. In those areas that ping your heart that I'm talking about, submit. That's as simple as it gets. Just submit. That's as simple as his heart gets. When he convicts us, submit. Don't fight it. Because when you fight it, you start to stay in your own lays. You stop to give way to the Lord. You stop allowing him to have access to that soft spot on your heart where he transformed you. And you start to harden. And hardened clay has to go back on, in the bag with moisture and put on the shelf for a time. Until that clay becomes soft again. And until that clay becomes moldable again. And when that clay becomes moldable again, he will take it off the shelf and he will open up the bag. And he will put that clay back on the, on the wheel. And when you are on the wheel, he will mold you. Inform you in the way that he sees fit over your own life. You're not the you're not the mold. You're not the you're not the molder. You're just the clay. You're just the clay who he says is qualified to carry his water. You're just the cup. You're just the vessel who is qualified to carry the water for the thirsty. You're just the fig tree, and without him you have no fruit. But you are qualified. To grow his fruit. You're just the city. Without light. But with him. You become a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Because all of you is a burning fire for him. Because his fire cannot be quenched. His fire cannot be put out. His fire cannot be. Stopped. It truly can't. I'm sorry if this message seems dry. But personally I don't care. Because it's what he's given to me. It's what he's given to me for this hour. It's what he's given to me for those who hear it. It's what he's given to me to run in and to share my run. Because unless we qualify ourselves, unless we submit ourselves, unless we keep his commandments, we will never love him. We will never love him as we ought. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. It was a commandment. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, period. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because he wants you to tread on the lion and the cobra and the great lion and the serpent. Those things grow. See that? In the same verse, those demons, they grow. One's a lion and the one's a great lion. One's a cobra and the one's a serpent. They grow. The attacks will grow over your life, okay? The attacks come for the word's sakes in our lives, but it rains on the just and the unjust. Now you're being equipped. Now you're being prepared for the attacks, okay? I want you to see the, tr I want you to understand the shift real quick, because unless you are equipped for the attacks, unless, if you think the devil is always going to throw the same pebble at you to try to get you to stumble, you're a fool. He's eventually going to make you so focused on that, on that pebble that he's going to build a fortress around you. And you're going to be in a box that you cannot escape on your own strength. You're going to be in a Jericho where you have to have the praise of God to break the walls down. Stop focusing so hard on what the devil's hit you with yesterday, an hour ago, 
before you walked into this room and start focusing on the promises of God over your life. Start focusing on the commandments of God. Start focusing on Jesus because a mind that stays fixed on him will have perfect peace. It doesn't say you won't go through trials. It doesn't say you won't go through circumstance. It, in fact, says that it will rain on you just as it does the sinners. It, in fact, says that it will rain and the storm will come. But if, you, it, but if you're built up upon the rock, when the torrent strikes, when the rain comes, when the flood comes against you, when the gates of hell tries to prevail, it will not prevail. You will be tested and you will be tried and you will be seen as men and women and children of God. All together. I don't care how much you grow in God, you're still going to be his child. And if you grow to a place where you feel like you've passed that child mark, you're growing into a place of arrogance, of unteachability. I talked to a man once, and I told him he's a child of God, just re-identifying him. He said, I am a man of God. Kudos. I didn't even say anything further. Because we're all his children. If we don't allow him to chastise us with direction, with love, we don't become his children. We stop being his children. We stop being discipled. We start saying, God, I don't want to be chastised right there. I don't want to submit right there. We stay in that place of purgatory. We stay on that fence line. And that fence line is the devil's stronghold over your life. Jump. Jump off the fence. Make up your mind tonight in whom you will serve. Make up your mind tonight whether you truly give yourself to Jesus, whether you truly want to walk as he walks, or whether you want to stay in your own lane. It's, it's that serious to him. Jesus' words, God's words, they do not go void. They don't fall short, but his grace and his mercy are renewed. Because even if we don't make up our minds tonight, he will fulfill the promises of his word. He will stay faithful, even in our unfaithfulness. But shall we take advantage of the grace that's been given? God forbid. He wants us at every moment of every day to have a made-up mind. He wants us to walk as he walked. He wants us, no matter the fire, no matter the trials, no matter the thousands that come against you, no matter if the world comes against you, no matter if the world hates you, for it has hated him first, to not be afraid but to walk as he walked, to fulfill the plans over your own lives as he desires to fulfill them. That's all I have. That's all, I, that's, that's, all that's needed. And that's, it's, it's honestly, y'all, it's so simple, yet so serious. There's young people in this room. There's young people on the internet watching. There's, people who understand our language that's watching. There's people who are getting it interpreted to them that's watching. There's young people, old people, the crippled, the hurt, the broken, the demonized, the sick. They're all hearing the same word. They're all hearing what you got tonight. And it's all the word of God. And when the word of God is preached, it is able to put a new yoke on the captive. It is able to break the captive's yoke. It is able to break the slave's chains. It is able to destroy the slave master out of their lives. Satan desires to sift us as wheat. But Jesus desires to build us up as a kingdom. His word is simple. His word is alive. His word is active. And Jesus, I thank you, Lord.
I thank you for what you've placed in my heart. Jesus, I thank you for what you're creating, Lord, in this room right now. God, every ear has heard your word. Let it be an ear that submits. Lord, your word will not go void. And where it is proclaimed with faith, you are willing to do the works of your word. Jesus, you've shown me how tonight is going to go. You've shown me the atmosphere was going to be. Your word is alive, God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the desire to live for you and not for the approval of man. And I thank you for this audience, Lord God, this church, the people who have a heart after you as David did. Who understand that you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. The same God that seen the heart of David after you is the same God that sees our heart after yourself. I thank you so much, Jesus. I thank you for calling us all to be ambassadors and representations of you. I thank you for taking communion with us, even when we don't deserve it. For fulfilling the law in the flesh. And by your stripes, us being healed and sealed by your blood. In your holy name, I praise you, Lord. Amen.